All right, well, good morning. I think we got this mic kind of figured out. Welcome again to Hope Lower Town, and uh, glad you're able to be here. Thankful for the, the rain. Um, Angela and I live in a neighborhood where people really care about their lawns, uh, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> but I'm working on it, so I need the rain to help out, and that's what we're doing today. So, all right, well, welcome again. We are in week three of uh, Stories in Stained Glass, and so remember, we've done the back. The back window there of looking at scripture is the highest authority. We've looked at uh, the one that has Ruth, uh, where is it, the back one over there, right? Oh no, right here. Um, and we looked at Ruth and gleanings and all that fun stuff. And then this, this week we're going to be uh, specifically looking at this one uh, right here. And uh, it's interesting. There's not a, as much history behind this uh, image as there was on the other one as far as no... No cool, you know, woman who, I don't know, it just, I don't know, it just, there was a lot of history that I uncovered in that one. Not so much in this one, uh, but this one uh, was dedicated and was actually, it's the newest of all the windows. It was made in, in uh, 1966, uh, and so that's when, they, that's when they put it in. And you can see at the bottom, it says Marjorie Leota, uh, but that's actually a Mears. So Marjorie Mears, uh, she was a little girl, uh, you can see the dates on there were 1927 to 1931, uh, and so she passed, and she was four years old, and was a child of Norman Mears. Uh, so if you know anything about St. Paul, you've got Mears Park just right on the other side of the block over there. Uh, not this one right here, but the next one over, the bigger one with the um, shelter or whatever that thing is. I don't know what it's called, but uh, where they do music and whatnot. Uh, but she passed, and she was very young. Well, what was interesting is Norman Mears uh, was the he was very wealthy. Uh, incredibly wealthy man, and uh, when they put this window in, he wanted to capture his children. And so um, you can see uh, that the baby that represents baby Jesus, even in this picture, is extremely, extremely pale <laughs> and white. That's because this child was, uh, was uh, albino, had an albinoism. And so that's why that baby Jesus, like normally like we kind of make fun of white Jesus, but that's like really, really white Jesus. Um, and then you can kind of see the life of Christ. And you have Christ being born, you have Christ as a teenager, and then you have it, uh, Jesus there welcoming the children. And then those three kids there were the three kids of, of Norman Mears. And you'll see two of them are much paler than the other one because two of his kids actually had that condition, which is just kind of interesting. So there it is. In stained glass, but today we're going to be focusing specifically on this idea uh, of be becoming like children. Becoming like children when it comes to Christ, uh, when we look at what it means to approach Christ like a child. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, 13 through 24. And this comes just right from this, this, uh, this window where it says, Suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of of God. So we're going to read that passage. That right there, that text is again in that old, old King James language. Uh, I remember as a child uh, reading that, suffer not the little children. And I was like, what a suff suffer? What is happening with the little kids? I don't know what's going on. It was kind of confusing. Uh, but here we are uh, with this as far as the children. So let, let me read the passage and then we will be able to uh, walk through this uh, quickly. Just a few points. We'll pick out four different aspects of this and look at a couple other uh, teachings from Jesus. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13. It says, Then children 
were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then went away. So that's the passage we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to look at four different characters in this little narrative. Just a couple verses that, we've, that I've just read. There's four key players that I want to look at. Just kind of examine it. And, it, and, and remember, we, as we looked at last week, we've got to grasp the, the text in their town. What would it have been like to be these people that approached Jesus, that were in this story? What does it mean to, to be like Jesus? What does it mean like to be like the disciples? What does it mean like to be like the children? And so the first aspect is just the parents. Most likely the, the moms, the women that would have brought the children. So it just says right here, then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them. So we think about these moms, we think about these parents bringing their kids to Jesus. And, and remember, they put ourselves in the story. They wouldn't have really known a whole lot about Jesus. Uh, maybe he was a prophet. Maybe, maybe he is the Messiah. We've heard some things, but what we do know is that he can do some crazy things and he's been able to, to heal people. There's nothing about the text that says the kids were sick, but just that the parents said, we want them, we want our children to be touched by Jesus. And so they bring them. And there's nothing, there's nothing as a parent that you wouldn't do for your kids. And if there was just some, some way that if I can get my kids close enough to Jesus, I've heard of people being touched and being healed of leprosy and, and all these different things. My kid maybe just got a cold, but as a parent, you worry about things like that. And there are some women in here who are pregnant that even an unborn child is terrifying. And but to go and just say, hey, I, wanna, I just want Jesus to touch me to make sure everything's going to be okay. And that's what, what is happening here. The children were brought in that they might lay, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And then we're introduced to the disciples. Just says that the disciples rebuked the people. I think a lot of times the disciples unfortunately get a, get a bad rap. Uh, they seem like mean or they're bullies or whatever of like, hey man, you're little kids, get away, you're little snot nosed little punk, get away from Jesus. Right? I don't want you getting, I don't want you getting them sick, right? I don't, I don't think they thought that because he was healing other sick people. So, but for whatever reason, they say, no, 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 he doesn't have time for that. But I do think, really, the disciples are just trying to protect Jesus. Um, I know I've mentioned the, the TV show, The Chosen, before, and, and it's a really, really phenomenal show. It's free. They have an app. Uh, you can download the app and watch it. Uh, it's a really, really good show. Um, and I was skeptical. I normally think Christian art is a little cheesy, uh, but it's actually a really, really well done show. And I was just telling Andrew the other week that I wouldn't, I mean, I, I'm pretty picky when it comes to my, my shows, especially my theology on Jesus. I wouldn't change one thing. They do a really good job with it. But there's this whole scene where Jesus is out healing people all day long. There's just these lines of people that hear about Jesus, they're coming to Jesus, and he's healing them. And finally, at the end of the day, he's just exhausted. He's just physically exhausted. He just kind of walks by the campfire of his newly found disciples, and he's just like, good night. Like, he just keeps on walking. Like, I, don't, I, go, I just need to go get some rest. And I would imagine that if they see Jesus like that a lot, he just spent all day teaching, and he's been up on his feet, and he's been talking to people about some really hard teachings just before this passage. That I'm sure now all of a sudden these kids are coming up. They're like, whoa, 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 no, no, just give them some space. Like, get out of here with the, with the kids. And so I do think that they were trying to do well. They probably meant well. That's not what happens. And so in their rebuking of the children, that's where we get to Jesus. And we see Jesus, in a sense, 
rebuking his disciples, Jesus says this in that passage. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. I think there's a couple of things that we can get out of this passage. One is that he made time for him. As tired as he possibly was, physically exhausted from a long day, he makes time for him. And maybe, maybe I'm, I'm reading into the text a little bit too much, but I think it's safe to say that dads, we could probably be a little more present with their kids. Right? Now, now I, I, I shudder to even say this because I know my wife's going to keep me accountable, uh, but put the phone down. Right? Just hang out with your kids. Be present. And I think that's exactly what happens with, with Jesus. Um, there's a, an old um, pastor from Scotland, George MacDonald, uh, from the 19th century. He said this, people could never be followers of Jesus if children were afraid of him. And I think there's something to be said there. My demeanor, you know, I don't normally come across as like lovable and huggable. Like kids don't come running up to me. Uh, I can be a little intimidating and I get that. Um, and I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't, I don't, I didn't really like kids until I had my own, <laughs> you know, and then it was like, oh, kids aren't so bad. They're actually kind of fun. They're, they're pretty cool. Um, and it's just, it's just how, how things change. My mentality towards little kids has completely changed. Um, but we need to be welcoming uh, to children, uh, loving of them uh, so that people can see that we care for them and then therefore uh, see Jesus. But why? Why does Jesus do this? He says, because such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see it in a little bit. Just moments later, just moments later where Jesus is talking with the disciples and they're going to say, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Like, well, who's the greatest in this kingdom? And Jesus is like, it's not about this kingdom. This is not an earthly, physical thing that's happening. There's a kingdom of heaven. And so what happens is the disciples are constantly talking about this earth. And then if you read the Old Testament, uh, Paul Stiver, uh, Elder here and I, we teach a hermeneutics class. Uh, meaning how do, we, how do we interpret the Bible? How do we read the Bible? You, you can take that. It's coming up here pretty soon, the hermeneutics seminar, I think sometime in August. Um, uh, it's an all, not an all-day thing. I forget how long it is, but it's, it's a while. And what we do is we kind of walk through the story, especially of the Old Testament. And if you read the Old Testament, guess what? We should all be Jewish. I mean, it, it just points to there's a new kingdom that's going to be established, a physical kingdom. But then Jesus shows up and he says, no, no, we've been reading this story wrong. We've been reading the story wrong. There's something more that's happening. It's not going to be a physical, earthly kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom of heaven. It's going to be spiritual. It's going to take place on the inside of someone's heart that the kingdom of heaven is expanded and grows not by land mass or, or accumulation of property or buildings, but by the souls and the hearts of men and women. And as we see from this text from children. What's interesting is as we look at Matthew chapter 18, I want to go back. A lot of times people will say we need to have childlike faith. That's actually not found anywhere in scripture, that phrase, childlike faith. But Jesus definitely hints at it. That we need, to be, we need to be like a child. How does he mean that? Well, in verse 18, sorry, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right, they're saying, we want to know who's the greatest because especially James and John, they want to, hey, can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? We want to be, we want to be leaders in this new kingdom that you're going to establish. 
and listen to Jesus' response. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, all right, so he's with the disciples. These disciples say, hey, who's the best? Who's the greatest? And Jesus demonstrates it by saying, hey, kid, come here. And the kid comes over to him. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? So there's a little bit of elements of faith, but the, but the main thing is this idea of humility, that it's not about me, right? And you can imagine a kid being in the midst of 13 grown men. Maybe the kid was terrified, right? I have no idea what was going on, but just this humility. If I don't know what's going on, I don't know, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to act, I don't know what to do, I can't even get food for myself. Humility, humble like a child, whoever is like, who humbles himself like this child, then that person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about status, it's not about education, it's not about jobs. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble or who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That is not a light, easy teaching by Jesus. You can tell Jesus obviously had a heart for kids saying, no, they're precious, they're humble, they're innocent, and they have faith that we tell them something. An adult says, hey, do this. It's usually, okay, I wanna listen to you. I'm gonna respect you as my, as my elder, as an adult. But if you cause them to sin, it would be better than a millstone. A giant stone to grind things would be hung around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. So then we have in this idea, the next one, next aspect, the next fourth character in the story is just the children. And so again, just look at this. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then went away. We can again use that childlike faith. And I think a lot of times we think innocent or naivete or anything like that of saying, oh, uh, they're just a little kid. And so you're, you're saying, oh, I'm Jesus, believe in me. This is why schools do VBS and, and Sunday school and they do uh, Awana and all these different things. Uh, my church was too poor. We did King's Kids. We couldn't afford Awana. Um, <laughs> same thing, just cheaper knockoff version. And so we're going to get them while they're young. Get them while they're young. Get them to believe it, man, and then and hook them, right? They're going to be in the church the whole life. But if remember, if we take our definition of faith that we went through and we walked through Hebrews, that faith is not just some uninformed, arbitrary thing. Hey, I want you to just believe in Jesus. Why? Well, because I, I want you to go to heaven someday. That's great, but I want you to love Jesus. That's what I want. I want my kids to go to heaven? Sure. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to see Jesus. But it's not just an uninformed faith. As we've walked, we've walked through this, it's a confidence, an absolute confidence that I have. Jesus is who he said he was. He has done all the things he said he was going to do other than return. We're still waiting for that day. But there's confidence. Um, as you know, we recently got a minivan and Henry, uh, who's four now, he, uh, he's a very timid kid in the sense of um, he doesn't like trying new things. 
He's a little bit more cautious, which still blows my mind that he broke his leg when he was three, uh, falling off a playground. It was like, you, you didn't even like going down slides or the stairs. How did you break your leg? Um, but he's at this, he, we had this minivan and he doesn't like uh, jumping out. I mean, like, cause he always just like sits down and kind of slides out. I'm like, dude, just jump out. And he's like, no, I'm scared. And it's like, there's nothing to be scared. Like I'll hold your hand, I'll hold your hand. All right, and then he'll jump, why? And then he, he's getting used to it. So now when we get out of the van, he jumps and he holds on to me and he jumps out and pretty soon I know he'll just be able to jump right out. I know he can, he can leap off of six stairs and dive bomb in the living room. But for some reason, the foot and a half is too much for him. All right, but he has confidence. He has confidence that my dad's not gonna let me go right now and he can jump. Why? Because I haven't betrayed that confidence yet. <laughs> I know that that day will happen. But he has confidence that my dad says he's gonna hold me, then he's gonna hold me. In the same way, in the same promises that Christ has and that the Father has with us, we can have confidence that he's gonna follow through. That we can put our trust and our faith fully in him and rely on him and not depend on ourselves and we can humble ourselves like a child. But unfortunately, we, we act like the disciples a lot. We hinder people. We hinder people from seeing Jesus as he truly is before they even get a chance to be introduced to Jesus. Just like these kids. Hey, we wanna see Jesus. We wanna be touched by Jesus. No, 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 you're not ready to see Jesus. You're, you're gross. You got dirt on your hands. And there's something about you. You don't act the way I act. You don't look the way I look. You did, well, you did that thing. Or well, you don't do what I do. Or maybe even worse, we hinder people by living in a way, one way with certain people, and another way when we're around other people. And just hypocrisy. And so we claim to be Christians, and they go, man, if this is what Christianity is, I don't know if I want that. And they don't even get a chance to meet Jesus. In stark contrast, right after this passage, so you have Jesus with these children, he lays his hands on them, and then went away, and then it says, right, the very next verse, and behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He's asking about good deeds. He's asking about law. What can I do? What is some physical thing that I can do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he, this is this individual, this other, other places is, is uh, coined the rich young ruler. He says to him, which ones? And what's interesting here, and Jesus says, and Jesus starts quoting the law, the Old Testament, multiple places, but in De Deuteronomy, he quotes the big 10. And if you look actually, even at the window up here, you can see you've got one through four, on one side, and you got five through uh, 10 on the other side. So you got six on one, and you got four on the other. Why is that? Why not just put five and five? Because the last six have to do with my relationship with others around me, with my neighbor, with other people. The first four are about my relationship with God. And so what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna say, oh, you think you can obey the law? All right, let, let's see. Let's, let's look at these last six. So the, the individual says, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, these are the six, right? And the young man says to him, all these things I have kept, which do I still lack? 
Now, just previously to this, Jesus is teaching on this idea of honoring your father and mother. And he's teaching on the law. And Jesus says this law and the laws that man-made laws and religious laws are actually making the Bible obsolete. You're, you're not doing what God has said and honoring your father and mother so you can obey these laws. And so he brings up this law called Corbin. And Corbin was this idea of honoring your father and mother that if I'm a wealthy individual, that I should provide and take care of my elderly parents. And they would say, no, 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 I don't have to do that because I'm gonna give it to God. It's Corbin, it's to God now. I'm not gonna take care of my parents. I'm, I'm holier than thou. I'm better. And so Jesus says, okay, let's look at relationships. You've obeyed the letter of the law. You've done everything right. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went on his way sorrowful for he had great possessions. What does Jesus do here in this moment? He wants this rich young ruler to have a childlike faith, if we can use that phrase, to act like a child, to humble himself, because it's not just about the law and doing X, Y, and Z. It's about a heart condition. Jesus is saying it's not about the back, the back end of the Ten Commandments of, of easy ways of following the law and just thinking if I do this or don't do that, I'm good. Jesus says, let's look at the front four. Let's look at your heart. Let's look at, do you treasure Christ? Do you treasure God over everybody and everything else? And the answer clearly was no. He treasured his treasure over Christ or over the Father. And even here he says, follow me specifically. Jesus points out a heart condition. And that is something that as children is not an issue. Uh, my kids don't have any concept of money. And if they do, I give them a quarter and they think they're rich, right? Possessions aren't a big deal to a child. We should treasure and follow Christ. Jesus goes on to say, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Some translations say it is impossible. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus here is not saying it's bad to be wealthy. Not saying that. I have some wealthy friends that are followers of Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. We can look at Zacchaeus, who's a follower of Jesus who gave his money back to people. Look at Matthew, the writer of this book, who was a tax collector just like Zacchaeus. Look at Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. These were wealthy individuals that followed after Jesus. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, but it's what are we using our wealth for? But Jesus here says, and there's been some bad teachings on this text right here, in the sense of, I truly say to you, it is with difficulty that a rich person went to the kingdom of heaven. And then he uses this analogy. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I know that growing up, I was taught, matter of fact, just this last week, I found it in one of my commentaries, that this could be a small gate. The camel was the largest animal that would have been present in that area. And then they were full of their backs, their bags and everything. There was this tiny little gate and they called it the eye of the needle and the camel would have to get down and squeeze through this gate. And it was a very difficult thing. It was a very difficult process. Some people do that, I think, to justify how bad <laughs> great wealth can be. 
how much we can re re rely on our wealth to take care of us, right? Without being humbled like a child, I can rely on my, on my wealth and my possessions. I don't need anybody else or anything else. I can, I can have it whenever I want it. And what Jesus is saying here, that it's easier for a camel, that is an animal, to go through the eye of a needle. That's what he means. He means it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person into the kingdom of God. Now again, context, context, context. He just gets done talking about these kids and being humble and, and, and having a heart like them for such is the kingdom of God and then gets to a rich young man who has great wealth and is unwilling to give it. He said, you see the difference here? The difference between a child who just says, yes, I wanna trust Jesus, I wanna follow you, versus an individual that doesn't and rejects because their heart condition is not right. They care too much about their possessions and the law than they do about following Christ. So in application, it's just a simple, simple window, simple text. Are we trusting Jesus the way a child does? I know I don't all the time. And there's nothing wrong with being analytical about our faith, right? I teach a systematic theology class. I, I read all the time. I've gotten degrees in studying the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with getting educated, but it's not a blind faith. But do I, am I humble that when Jesus says something, do I take it as true or do I question it? And secondly, are we allowing others to see Jesus as a child would or are we hindering them from seeing who he really is? And it's something that I do a lot. Do I hinder? Am I not willing to talk to somebody because they're a little different than me? Am I not willing to, am I being a hypocrite around certain people? I hope I'm not, I don't think I am. But are we hindering people from seeing Jesus for who he really is? At this time, we're gonna, like we do every week, have communion. And if you're able to grab one, it's out in the lobby if you'd like. And you don't have to be a member of this church or any church, but love for you to partake of these elements if that's something that, uh, that you would like to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love to partake of these elements with you. As we look at the body, the bread that was broken for us, and we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Nothing magical, spiritual, there's nothing, no law here that says you gotta do this, and if you don't do it, you're in trouble. And there's nothing that says if you do this, you're good. It's a way to remember, to come to Jesus with a childlike faith and say, man, you said that we should remember you in this way. The juice that represents his blood that was spilt for us and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. That as we partake of these elements, remember who he is until he comes again. So you bow with me as we pray and as we worship through song and partake of these elements together. Father, I thank you for, again, just our time together this morning. Uh, thank you even for Norman Mears, uh, who was an influential part of this church, who even as just noted, was a very wealthy individual, but he used his wealth to help this community, to help this neighborhood. And he's been memorialized in parks and signs and statues all across the city. But he was a devoted follower of you. That from what we can read about the man, that he was humble, even in his wealth and his influence and power. So God, I pray that we would have childlike faith, that we too would be able to humbly, humble ourselves to come to you and say, I cannot force religion. 
I can't force myself to love you. I believe, help my unbelief. So God, would you just now, as we worship through song, as we worship through partaking of these elements, would you be honored, would you be glorified? And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.